Welcome to Section Hiking the Appalachian Trail. I am your host, John Eskelson, and I'm grateful you've taken the time to listen to this podcast today. For those who want to see pictures from these adventures, please check us out on Instagram. You can find me at Section Hiking the Appalachian Trail at uh, section underscore hiking underscore the underscore AT and on Twitter at Eskelson John which is E-S-K-E-L-S-E-N-J-O-N. If you have any comments or questions you'd like to share, please share your thoughts with me as well. I look forward to hearing them. Now on with the show. So here is where we left off at the end of our last episode, Georgia Part 1. Four of us, Matt, Stephen, myself, and Martin, started out at Amicola State Park. We hiked to Springer, hiked to Three Forks, hiked to Goots Mountain Shelter, dropped Matt off at Woody Gap, spent the night at Jared Gap, climbed Mount Blood, went to Neely's Gap, and ended up at the Whitley Gap Shelter. Whereupon, some owls picked a fight with a raven on a tree in the campground with a dead branch that ended up falling on Stephen's tent, hitting him across the abdomen. We weren't sure how much or whether he was seriously injured or not. So we called for a shuttle to take us to a local hospital in Belleville on Wednesday morning. Jeff Moon dropped us off at the hospital and Stephen was admitted to the emergency room. Apparently having two smelly middle-aged men and their gear in the hospital was disfavored and we were asked to wait outside with our stuff. Okay, so we did. I ordered some Chick-fil-A from the app that they delivered to the hospital. I thought that was pretty cool. I didn't know they did that. And then I took a nap outside and charged up my stuff. I finally figured out what was going on and why I was grumpy, but it was not grumpy. It was hangry, so I went and bought some additional food and waited. By 2 p.m., Stephen was finally released. And it turned out that after being checked out and given a CT scan, he did not have any internal injuries, just some really bad bruising and a bunch of scratches. So that's pretty good. The injuries were minor and superficial. But it still hurt for him to carry a backpack. And we couldn't find a ride into town. So we walked and found a restaurant called The Hole in the Wall, where we ate a good lunch. During lunch, we got Stephen a shuttle back to Atlanta, where he was able to stay with Matt until he could find a flight home. And Martin and I looked for a way back onto the trail. Honestly, we are mixed as to what to do because going back on the trail kind of felt like we were leaving Stephen behind. But after Stephen said it was okay and encouraged us to do so, we did it. We figured that we had missed the day of hiking between Hogpens and Unicoi Gap. Matt says it's kind of rolling hills and not really that big of a deal. I'll trust his judgment. The question was where we were going to sleep. We were supposed to meet up with Chris from North Carolina at the Blue Mountain Shelter that night. So Martin and I uh, hiked, got ourselves to Unicoi Gap, um, a local man that we had had eaten lunch in the same uh, hole in the wall that we had eaten at, offered to take us up when he found out our plight. We hiked the two miles up, um, it was 800 or so feet from Unicoi Gap to the Blue Mountain Shelter campground. And Blue Mountain Shelter is near the summit of Blue Mountain, and while it's not especially exposed, it's not very protected from weather either. 
once there, we met up with a bunch of guys hiking, uh, doing through hikes mostly. And then we came across our friend Pat, who had already been spreading the story of the tree branch falling on Stephen all up and down the trail. We also met Sean, Jim, Nick, and a Florida couple. The craziest thing is that when we talked to the Florida couple about going to Whitley Gap instead of down to Hogspen Gap, he pulled out his phone and looked at the Far Out app on the AT in Georgia and said, there was a strong wire there. You just had bad information and you had to go farther than those guys did who said there wasn't any. I thanked him for the information, but it kind of infuriated me inside. Not only could we have camped where we had sought to, but more importantly, we wouldn't have had this particular accident that sent Stephen home early. Obviously, this is a counterfactual, and I can't prove what would or would not have happened had we done this. And so it does no good to be mad and just need to learn to accept the data, so to speak, that what happened happened. My only hope is that there comes from this experience something good. I don't know what that would be per se, but it's my hope that something good occurs in the lives of those of us who had this experience. That night, the wind was fierce. There was a very small amount of rain, but the wind churned through the night, sounding like rushing waters, like the kind you get when you have an ocean crashing against the seashore. It was kind of distracting, to be honest. Martin and I got up in the morning and readied ourselves, planning to meet up with Chris in order to get to Deep Creek shelter area. Martin and I found Chris, who had arrived around 1 a.m. that morning and slept in his car in the Unicoi Gap parking lot. He had started coming up the trail to Blue Mountain that morning, and we met him on the way down. We walked back to his car in the parking lot where he grabbed his pack. He'd also brought alcohol wipes and Benadryl, which helped me treat the poison ivy I'd inevitably picked up along the way. The main feature of this day's hike was three climbs around to around 4,000 feet. The maps made them look all, the, all relatively the same. The first was a thousand foot climb out of Unicoi Gap to Rocky Mountain over a mile and a half, top, uh, topping at mile 53.9. It had some nice views. We then descended to Indian Grave Gap, gave up nearly all the, all the mileage, sorry, all the elevation we had climbed over the next mile and a quarter to mile marker 55.2. We then climbed what I thought was the biggest and baddest of the three climbs up Trey Mountain, which was a 1500 foot climb to about 4,400 uh, feet in elevation over two and a half miles, then another three quarters of a mile to Trier Mountain Shelter where we ate lunch. Chris was giving the lowdown of his favorite books um, he had recently listened to, and I made note of several of them. Up top, we may, met several new folks. Some I can't remember, but there was an old, name, na old lady who went by the name of Willow and came across like one of those aging flower children who worship the sun. She asked us our trail names. I've been trying out the name Deep, Shit, Deep State, and she approved of it. Chris was a little behind, so she didn't have a chance to ask him. She then looked at Martin and said, your name is Bullseye. I turned to look at Martin, whose face, well, he's very diplomatic, and to the uninitiated, it probably didn't give any indication of what he thought. But for those of us who know him, knew that he was not going to be called by that trail name. Anyway... Willow was hiking with a man named Commando, who was clearly not referring to his military prowess by the looks of him, but perhaps, in fact, he did not wear underwear. I don't know. I didn't ask, and perhaps it's rude of me to make this assumption, 
Um, but I don't know. Maybe he was special forces, but I kind of doubt it. We also met DK and Dwayne, a mother and son combo, hiking uh, for a couple of weeks up the trail from, from Oklahoma. Those two are really nice people. At the shelter at lunch, Pat came up and we were caught up. He was spreading the news of the accident that knocked Stephen off the trail. After consultation with Matt, Stephen, and the like, uh, Stephen now does have a trail name. We are calling him Timber. I pass that along to Pat, who has in all likelihood incorporated it into the story. It reminds me of one of Terry Pratchett's novels, Going Postal, where, there's a, where the story is, no, no man is forgotten so long as you remember their name. I think the story of Timber is going to live on in some form and fashion, not just because of my telling, but because of all that Pat did to spread it. After lunch, we headed down Trey Mountain and hit a series of low-rise hills over the next three miles, hiking through Sassafas and Addis Gap, both of which had camping and water near them. And I think Martin had Martin not needed to catch a shuttle at 10 a.m. the next morning. We would have stopped at Sassafras and chosen not to keep going. But in fact, he did have to catch a shuttle, and so we pressed on to the Deep Gap shelter. At this point, it was just under two miles away. We just had a Kelly's Knob to climb up, which was, you know, 700 feet of elevation. Now that I think about it, we were climbing a knob, not a mountain, and it was only 700 feet up, rather than 1,000 or 1,500. It should have been relatively easy. Wrong. For some reason, this was the hardest climb of the day, and it was really hot at this point of the day, too. The trail just keeps going and going without any real switchbacks. It was clearly the longest mile I've hiked in a long time. And then once we summited, it was nearly a mile to get to the shelter, which itself was about a quarter mile off the trail. To cut it short, it took a while. I made it before dark, with Martin and Chris coming in a little later, closer to dusk. It was probably the toughest day of hiking we did. A deep gap shelter is at mile 65 and a half for those who are curious. The next morning, Martin got up early and was out of camp by 7 a.m. He needed to hike up over Powell Mountain and down to Dix Creek Gap, four miles by 10 a.m. Fortunately, most of it was downhill, and he made it in plenty of time. Note, he was leaving the trail early so he could get home in time to see his daughter in a play that she was starring in. Chris and I got up and spent the day on the trail. Like Martin, we went up and over Powell's Mountain and down to Dix Creek Gap, which is at mile marker 69.2. There we had lunch. Pat showed up while we were eating, but decided to go into town and spend the rest of the day and night there, catching a shuttle. I hope he's well and was able to make it through the Smokies as he had planned. We continued on another four miles to Plum Orchard Gap Shelter at mile marker 73.7. I'm looking through my notes and seeing Coward Gap and Buzzard Knob, but I don't have a lot of memories of those places. Chris and I were talking quite a lot, and so it's probably why I missed this stuff. And frankly, we don't have any or many pictures of it either. The great thing about Plum Orchard is that it had great water. It had a really significant stream. It was nice and cold, and you could uh, bathe your feet in it. We shared the site with several others, like DK and Dwayne, who came in a little bit later. We also met a guy who was getting on the trail while working towards a new career in mathematics, which is cool. There's four young guys who are through hiking and had decided to hike together. Apparently, they had some mutual interests. I named one of them Apples because he had a bag of apples that he brought on the trail, and another Fireman because, well, I mean, he was building a giant bonfire. It was fun to talk and laugh with these folks as we chatted away through the night. Um, I went to my hammock 
to read and ended up falling asleep. The one negative thing about Plum Orchard was the privy. In the morning, it was covered by all bunch of little tiny bugs. It was so gross. I woke up in the middle of the night, stayed awake for a while, and ended up dozing. Finally got up around 5.50 a.m. and started breaking down camp. And this is on Saturday, the 21st. Chris got up too, and we were out by 6.30. On this last day, we were hiking another mile or so to Blue Ridge Gap. And at the gap, we headed east on a gravel road to find Matt, who came to pick us up, only to learn that he was coming from the west. We turned around and finally found him and headed to his car. Matt took us back to Chris's car to Unicoi Gap, and we all headed down to Helen for breakfast at a German restaurant I think is called Hofer's. Es was sehr lecker. Which is Dutch and not German for very delicious. After breakfast, Matt and I headed down to his house where I took a hot shower and changed into some clean clothes. It was great to be clean again. I get why people decide to go off trail. And after that, I went back on the MARTA, back down to the airport, caught my flight, and went home. Georgia was, well, constructively completed. The next big trip will be another 80 or so, 80 or so miles from Blue Ridge Gap um, into North Carolina to Fontana Dam, just before entering the Great Smoky Mountains. Life is changing fast for my family and I, so I'm not sure when that will be, but stay tuned. Before I go, I do have some thoughts about hiking in Georgia. One, there's too much poison ivy. It was literally everywhere. If I sound like a broken record on this, it's because I hate the stuff that bad. Two, lots of hope and support along the trail. Everywhere you go, people are looking to help and watch you succeed. Three, there's a ton of up and down in Georgia. If you head northbound, though, it's not that hard of a hike. Four, it's possible to do 15 to 16 miles a day with some training, but only with some training. Five, as I've mentioned previously on the previous episode, Georgia is really green and shady, especially late in the spring. Six, I don't know that I'd want to go in peak season when there's 200-ish people starting a day. I think that would be insane. Seven, if I could have done one thing better, it would have been to stop at Hawk's Pen and I would have carried less food. Also, if I was a through hiker, these may not work out the way I think they would, but I would do two things. One, I'd carry a fry pan. When I was preparing food for this hike, I noticed that there was lots of readily available food that can be stir fried over some sort of starch, like noodles or rice or something like that. It seems like that ought to work as a kind of form of, of uh, cooking food. And then second, I think I'd set up my schedule so I'd go off trail on Saturday night uh, to a hotel, eat a salad, and get cleaned up to attend church on Sunday. For those who don't know, and I don't dwell on all that much here, but I'm a pretty religious guy. With an extended through hike, I'd want to make sure I'd have an opportunity to spend time with my fellow congregants. And then I'd get back on the trail on later on Sunday afternoon. Anyway, that was Georgia. If you want, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever it is you get your podcasts, and let me know what you think. And tell people about this podcast. I'd love to hear from you and however you want to reach out. Thank you, and have a great hike.